Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Well, good morning. It is the 29th of March, 2023. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thank you so much for spending this time with me today or inviting me, maybe better said, to spend this time with you. Um, Time is precious and you are precious. And um, so let's get into the word of God, that the word of God might get into us, that we might be prepared for the challenges uh, and the opportunities, the glory stories that will surely come in this day in which we live. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Amos chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. The context here is imminent judgment. Um, the people of Israel, the God's people are anticipating the righteous judgment of God. Um, they know it's coming, um, de- deservedly so. And in the midst of that, the prophet reminds them, reminds them that there is yet an opportunity to repent. A pathway of, of repentance still exists. God is still God. Um, and in the midst of, of even the most challenging of days, there is a call to, um, to seek him and his ways. So Amos chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Do what is good and run from evil so that you may live. Then the Lord God of heaven's armies will be your helper, just as you have claimed. Hate what is evil and do what is good. Turn your courts into true halls of justice. Perhaps even yet, the Lord God of heaven's armies will have mercy on the remnant of his people. Seek good and run from evil. Seek good and run from evil. What? What and who are you seeking today? What and who are you seeking today? Amos urges God's people to seek good and not evil. What are you seeking today? From whom are you seeking it? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek good and not evil. Seek to know and glorify the one who came to seek and save the lost. Friends, we are going to um, spend some time talking this morning again, as we did yesterday, about the events in Nashville, Tennessee, Monday morning, and the uh, and the unfolding now um, of that. And so, uh, I am I'm aware that for many people, these conversations um, about violence, particularly violence against children and violence in spaces and places that we think of as sanctuaries and we anticipate being safe, in this case, a Christian school. Um, These are anxiety-producing, challenging conversations, but they're necessary, um, and we need to talk about it. So joining us next, Pastor Daryl Crouch. He lives in the greater Nashville area, as do I, um, and we're going to talk about 
the victims. We're going to talk about how we feel. We're going to talk about a faithful response. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Daryl Crouch is back today. You can find him at Everyone's Wilson. Um, good morning, my brother. Hello, Carmen. Good to talk with you today. Yeah, it's good to talk with you today, too. Um, maybe I'll just ask you to reflect on on how you feel. Um, it's, you know, it took place in our own community, and um, there are friends among not only those who have lost their children um, or their spouse or their mom, but there are certainly friends uh, among those who are trying to understand um, what what happened. And so uh, for those of you just joining us, we're talking with Pastor Daryl Crouch. He lives in the greater Nashville area. It's where he serves. Um, and we're talking about the shooting that took place at the Covenant School at Covenant Presbyterian Church uh, in the community of Green Hills. Um, in Nashville, Tennessee on Monday. So, Daryl, your thoughts? Yeah. Well, we're sad. Uh, sadness is pervasive, and um, and that's okay. You know, I think there's a time to sit in our sadness. Um, we have a lot of examples in the scriptures, whether that's in Psalms or Lamentations or uh, other places where um, God's people are are sad. Uh, we we read in John 11 that Jesus wept when he saw the the, the tomb where his friend Lazarus uh, was uh, was was buried, and so I think sadness is uh, something that we are are not real comfortable with. Sometimes we feel like we're we're maybe weak, or we feel like it's out of the norm, or we're not being spiritual enough, and we're not trusting God enough if we're sad. And that's just not the case. Uh, we uh, sadness is, um, you know, part of who we are as humans. It's um, as we look on a world that's evil, and as we um, see the consequences of evil, um, that that the consequences that uh, affect our neighbors and our own family members, our church family, people that we love. Um, I think we our grief is is very um, important to acknowledge and that that sadness is uh, is very real. So there's a there's a a palpable sense of grief in our community today. And you can walk into a business, you can walk into a a conversation with friends and um it's just uh, different. We don't grieve as those who have no hope and we can get to that in a moment, but I think it's I think it's important that that we do learn to to sit in our grief and sit in our sadness for a moment, cast our cares upon the Lord, knowing that He cares for us. But um, yeah, right now uh, there's just uh, there's sadness. Yeah, um, one of the nine year old victims. There may be people listening right now who haven't been following the story as closely as you and I likely have. Um, one of the nine year old victims was the daughter of the senior pastor of the Covenant Presbyterian Church, where the Covenant School is located. His name is Chad Scruggs. I I want you to help me focus on him for just a minute. How does he do his job and tend to his grief and shepherd his flock and 
prepare for Holy Week and respond to the press and the critics and participate in the investigation and deal with the insurance people and the issues of the building repair and the faculty and the staff and have room to grieve as a dad. I want you to talk about this from a pastoral perspective and your own, you know, lived experience. Like how, how does a guy do this? I I don't know, Carmen. I, I don't, I don't know that he knows. I don't, I don't know that there's no category. I think this is important for us to, to give our, I think he would have to give himself some grace, a lot of grace. And I know he's receiving that in, 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 in multiple ways, but, um, I, I think, um, I, I think the, the category that there is no category for what he's having to walk in. Certainly we can call it evil. We can call it grief and loss and affliction. And, uh, we read in first or second Corinthians one where Paul despaired even of life. It was too much for him to bear. And I think, uh, for Pastor Scruggs to, um, find himself in this spot is certainly a, a, a place that is too much for him to bear. And certainly the Lord will sustain him and uh, the Lord will be with him. There's um, a sermon that he preached uh, a few weeks ago that has made its way into to social media. And uh, again, he speaks to, I think, John 11 in that sermon where Jesus weeps over his friend and knowing the outcome of, of the, he makes the point and I thought was so profound, but knowing the the outcome of this episode in Lazarus's life did not uh, mitigate Jesus's grief over his death. And he wept knowing that he would be raising Lazarus from the dead, but he wept. And I think uh, Pastor Scruggs knows that, uh, like all of us, uh, thankfully, it, we, we know that God is sovereign and that that there is hope in the future, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't grieve today and he's not profoundly sad. Uh, I also think, and this is true for him and for other other families affected and by any of us who have been through um, any kind of uh, profound loss, um, that we need community. We We are built for that. And these moments remind us of that. And I think he's going to need a lot of people around him uh, to shepherd him uh, more than he needs to worry about shepherding anyone else. Um, he will do some shepherding and the Lord will use him in in profound ways to love his congregation and to lead them through this time. And it could be that the the greatest thing that he does in leading his congregation is grieving you know, for his daughter and grieving for his church and grieving for his community and uh, shepherding them as he, um, you know, really through tears and uh, sadness. But today um, is yesterday, particularly, but today as well, uh, they wake up in, in a whole new world. And so there's lots of support around them today. Uh, I think the, uh, the sustaining grace of God will be, will be um, essential for him for, certainly for the rest of his life and ministry. But um, as time moves on, he and his family will, um, will, these things don't go away. 
And right. um, and Absolutely. so he will he will pastor out of his pain, I suspect, for the rest of his life. But the Lord will will use that in in great ways. But um, I think for him to um, be gracious to himself and receive the grace upon grace that the Lord provides through others is going to be very important. We're talking with Pastor Daryl Crouch. We're talking about um, the unfolding story in Nashville, Tennessee, related to a school shooting that took place on Monday. Um, seven lives were lost and six were taken by the shooter and then the shooter's life taken by law enforcement. Um, and there are obviously lots of um, people affected, not not just those directly affected, but many, many indirectly affected. And uh, And so we're talking about how as Christians... We suffer in the midst um, and how we grieve uniquely as those who actually do have hope. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. Sadness, grief, fear, questions, passionate feelings about the why behind the what. Um, Life goes on, and yet uh, in the midst of it, there is um, this place now where time is standing still for many, many families. We're talking about the events in Nashville, Tennessee on Monday. Everybody in Nashville has some kind of connection to one of the families or to the school or to the church. Um, This is one of those days and weeks um, that Nashville feels like a very small town. Our state's first lady, Maria Lee, um, had previously been part of a teaching team with two of the victims, um, Catherine Kuntz and Cynthia Peake. Catherine was the head of school at the Covenant School. Cynthia Peake, a substitute teacher on the day on Monday, Um, both of them fatally uh, shot and killed um, by the shooter. Catherine's husband, Dick, is an active part of the men's ministry at the church I attend. And um, and these three little kids, these three nine-year-olds, vibrant, active, involved children in sports and theater and church. And and so there are stories today, you know, unfolding before the public about, you know, the lives of these victims. And then many of the questions that you're going to hear raised are, you know, what do we know about the shooter? What can we know about the shooter? What should we have known about the shooter? There's just lots and lots and lots of questions. Some of those questions are going to remain unanswered. Um, and we're talking with Pastor Daryl Crouch about all of that today. Um, so first of all, Daryl, thank you again for being here. This is one of those like walk by faith, not by sight days um, in the process because there are so many people now pressing forward with unanswerable questions um, and they're doing so with a great deal of passion. And so let's talk about grieving as people who have hope and then let's talk about living in the context of a time where there are real things to fear and yet living without fear. Yeah, that's really good. I think uh, we are people of hope. And, uh, and that hope is not, uh, as we know, and uh, but but I'll say it again, our hope is not a cross your fingers, hope it'll work out kind of hope. Uh, our hope is a settled, fixed hope, um, a hope in um, the, the one who is known as the resurrection and the life, Jesus himself. 
So he has crushed sin, death, and the grave. He has won the victory over sin, death, and the grave. And uh, so enemy is a, def- or uh, excuse me, the devil is a defeated foe. And um, he uh, certainly still has influence, and uh, we can talk about that. But um, we are a people of hope, and we we know where our hope is. And it's not in uh, any of the things that uh, the trappings of, of our culture or society. Our, our hope is in Jesus and him alone. And certainly we do live in a society and, a, and civil authority is very important, uh, part of common grace. And so kids should go to school uh, and know that they'll be safe. And uh, parents should be able to drop their kids off in the, in the car line, knowing that they'll see them uh, later in the afternoon. And so evil is real. And um, we saw it demonstrated in, again, one of the, the most profound ways anyone can to for a, um, a person to walk into a school and take the life of, of a nine-year-old is, um, there, there, again, there's really no category for that beyond just profound evil. And um, uh, so I think we, we have to acknowledge that evil is real and there is a tendency in our in our certain in this season and what our culture is working through the uh, to uh, maybe deny the the importance of virtue and to deny the importance of moral absolutes, for example, uh, the goodness of God and um, and the things that God has called us to in order to be a a good people and a righteous people. So we've we've kind of set those things off to the side, and then on days like Monday, um, we we kind of want His goodness a la carte, if you will, and uh, that's that's not the way it works. And so I think for us there is a reckoning, certainly that we must, um, you know, we 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 must grapple with during seasons like this and incidences like this that remind us that we are a moral people, and that our uh, the virtues are important. Um, and so I think it's an opportunity for us uh, with kindness and with grace and with dignity and with respect um, to to speak the truth, uh, to be a light uh, in the darkness and to share the good news. Uh, good news is good and uh, there's virtue in that and that there is hope in that. And so people are um, trying to make their way through this, and uh, we we really do have, as believers, uh, a settled hope. And uh, His name is Jesus, and He's on the throne, and we can trust Him. And He has defeated our greatest enemy, and so we can trust Him in, in this moment as well. There's a um, <clears throat> an individual that's emerged in this conversation, and her name is Avriana Patton. Um, she's a former classmate, basketball player, friend of, I mean, I use that word, um, I I use that word without a definition here, but she has now appeared on virtually every major news outlet, and um, she is the person who received this message from the shooter prior to the shooting, and she reached out immediately to law enforcement. But in these interviews, Daryl, the one thing that stands out to me is how how calm and measured this young woman is in her answers to the questions and how frequently when she can't answer a question, 
she just says, I'm asking God the same thing. Uh, you know mm-hmm. what? I'm asking God the same thing right now. And I'm, I'm hearing her and I'm, and I'm saying to myself, Lord, I'm so thankful that she knows you well enough to know that you know, and she knows herself well enough to know that it's a question she shouldn't answer in public right now. And she has this faith that's obviously so deep and so genuine that she is comfortable on every, you know, outlet of, of secular media to sit there and say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm asking God that same question right now. Um, and so I want to lift up those um, before whom, you know, cameras and microphones are going to be placed and just speak this word of encouragement. It's okay to say, I don't know, but God knows. That is, a, that is a very fine answer to the questions um, of the day, particularly when we're talking about evil. Uh, and I, I want to highlight this before we close our conversation, Daryl. We are talking about an evil act. We are talking about real evil. Um, but we, we cannot and must not demonize the emotionally disturbed person who did this. And so I, I want us to be mindful of um, the seventh person who lost their life in this, and that is the shooter, and that individual's family who is suffering deep, unimaginable grief and guilt right now as well. Absolutely. And I appreciate you saying that. Uh, the The person who took the life of these six individuals, um, she is an image bearer of the Most High God, and um, uh, she, God loves her and loved her and um she was knit in her mother's womb as well as any of us and um it's a tragedy when a life um when 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 neighbors uh, i talked to a gentleman yesterday in in my rotary group actually who lives just down the street from her in that part of town and um these are people that we see out and about at the grocery store these are people that we go to school with and uh, for whatever reason, they find themselves in a dark place. And and sometimes it's by their own choosing. Sometimes it's by the choosings of others. It's a circumstance. Sometimes there are um, profound mental health issues and emotional issues and experiences in life that the enemy uses as a stronghold in their lives. And uh, we, we would meet these people in the New Testament as Jesus would uh, go out and about in his ministry and um, and he would have compassion on them and uh, they would be in isolation, but he would touch them and he would embrace them and he would speak to them and he would, um, um, n- never to condone evil. We're not doing that, but, um, to, to remember that they are humans and they are our neighbors and, um, whether neighbors, whether we consider folks a neighbor or an enemy, uh, Jesus calls us to love them the same and to uh, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love our enemies. Um, and so I think um, I think you're you're wise to remind us that um, this young lady um, is in need of our and, and her family in need of prayer and um, to know that um she's a person of worth and value and dignity as well. And so um, to know what causes a person to, to do something like um, she did uh, again, we we probably will never know, Mm -hmm. but as you mentioned uh, to the, 
to the longtime friend of hers. Um, God does know, and we uh, we again today uh, choose to trust God. Amen. Daryl, as always, thank you so much for joining us. You guys can uh, find Daryl Crouch at everyoneswilson.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. It gets so hard just trying to figure it out, fighting down, trying to believe God. All right, here's one quick uh, news update on a story that, I mean, we talked about months ago, but in Boston... On Tuesday, the FBI arrested a suspect in the firebombing of a Madison, Wisconsin pro-life pregnancy center Um, that took place um, on May the 8th, 2022. Uh, And the Office um, of Wisconsin Family Action, which is a pro-life organization in Madison, um, was heavily damaged by the fire. The threat, quote, if abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either, uh, was the graffiti spray painted on several exterior walls. Uh, It is one of many targeted pro-life organizations in the wake of the Supreme Court um, leak related to what we now know as the Dobbs decision um, and the the changing of, uh, of, of the way we approach abortion law in the United States, moving it from a federal to a state level um, process. And so the FBI did arrest a suspect in that particular case um, yesterday. So we just wanted to uh, bring you up to date on that. Um, Mark Terman is going to join us next from Denison Forum. We're going to talk about what the Wall Street Journal uh, is reporting as a, a sharp shift in American values. So if you were asked questions about patriotism and religious faith and um, having children and your priorities, um, how might you answer such questions? And how do you think that those answers have changed for Americans over time? We're going to talk about that trend line and the sharp shift in American values next here on Mornings with Carmen. Mark Terman is joining us now from the Denison Forum. You can uh, read what Mark is working on and hear his podcast at denisonforum.org. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I'm well, thank you. So I am um, reading in this Wall Street Journal NORC poll um, that here were the numbers that I liked. I liked the numbers from 1998 when 70% of respondents deemed patriotism to be very important. 62% said religion was very important. I don't like the numbers that they came up with this time around where only 38% of respondents said patriotism was very important and only 39% said religion was very important. We're talking about, I mean, a a sharp drop uh, in terms of the number of of Americans who, who see these attributes as important. Yeah, it's really uh, disturbing as well as confirming in many ways. Uh, I think it's an indication, as a couple of writers in the article and others commenting on the article are noting, that it's been a rough couple of decades um, since we arrived in this century. And some of the things that we've experienced as a culture from 9-11 to recession to now uh, what feels like runaway inflation, not to mention covid 
we, we've all been battered pretty hard, and it's caused us to have a lot of questions and a lot of doubts about what is important and what kind of lives do we think we want to live now. So when, um, when you think about patriotism, because I think that part of this is a conversation about the meaning of words and how people understand these terms and words over time, um, maybe patriotism is a word that people don't understand and appreciate, and, and maybe so too the word religion. Yeah, I think we had to get clearer about what we mean. Um, our country was founded on, uh, obviously, a belief, fundamental belief in God and and with a lot of freedom, obviously, that we're grateful for to pursue God and to trust in God according to the dictates of your own conscience or to believe in no God. And and we have to get back to what we mean by uh, the pursuit of faith and the reality and the definition that faith is something that we all have. The question is, is what are we putting our faith in? When it comes to patriotism, I think we really have seen uh, the evolution of patriotism turning into uh, strange forms, and I would say dangerous forms, of nationalism that we need to be very, very wary of. I think nationalism is the warped corruption of what the best spirit of patriotism is all about, where we're grateful for our country, we recognize that it has limits and it has faults and it has things that it needs to work on, but we're grateful for where we get to live and how we get to live and the freedom that we enjoy and that we have a responsibility to steward that well and to help our country be as healthy and as God-honoring as it possibly can be while having respect for everyone's differing views of faith. Uh, That's the best look at patriotism in my view, but we've taken it in some ways in a different direction. We've twisted it into this idea that we should be just only concerned about ourselves and about how our country needs to serve us. And I think we need to do some work to change that mentality. Yeah, it's a values conversation. It's a conversation about what influences the way we think about things and, and the way that we behave. I think that, uh, you know, you're you're certainly not going to have an increasing percentage of people who are valuing money, which is what the poll also finds like the only thing that increased in terms of its value um, for those interviewed was money um, and the acquisition of it more of it um, if that's the the value system um, that is replacing a value system that would place positive patriotism um, positive religion and having children um, getting married and having children um, like if the if what's replacing that is the pursuit of material wealth um, then, you know, the, I think this doesn't surprise any of us who have actually been paying attention to what's going on in the culture, but I do think that it's worthy to ask the question, how do we help reverse the trend? And part of it is living as not just biblically informed, but biblically integrated people ourselves. Absolutely. And that's, that's the best testimony and influence that we can have. I think you're exactly right. When, when people become disillusioned, uh, particularly disillusioned in their faith, they start looking for substitutes. They start looking for something uh, other than God that they think that will satisfy their souls and, and give them some sense of contentment and peace. And it's not, uh, it's not without precedent that people often run to material things, those things that they can see and hold, and this idea that 
I want to try to get control of my life. And many people look at control and power uh, in our culture as equivalent to the more money you have, the more power, the more influence, the more control you have. Um, that's not really borne out to be true. When you start looking at many, many people who have a lot of financial resources, their lives are often more chaotic than those who have less. But we're looking for a substitute. And what seems to be the the trend of these articles and several others that I've read recently, Carmen, is that we just need a fresh encounter with God, each of us and all of us together. We need, uh, we people say it in, in very uh, glowing terms that we've lost a sense of awe, we've lost a sense of the transcendent. What's, what is the transcendent? That, that which is beyond us, that which is spiritual, that which is divine. Uh, and what you're seeing, I think, in our culture in these numbers and in other indications are we need a fresh encounter with God that brings revival within his church and awakening within this nation. That's where our greatest longing is, and we can be a part of that by our passionate pursuit of Christ on our own, our prayers, our willingness to serve others, and if necessary, sacrifice for them, uh, to live, as you said, an integrated life. So many people, especially in the younger generation called Gen Z, are looking for leaders, spiritual leaders, who are real and authentic, who live what they say they believe. And those ways will help us to do all that we can to, to influence this culture back toward where God would want it to be and back toward a healthier level of functioning. All right, I'm going to um, put down a couple of um, historical markers before we uh, take a, a brief break and then return to our conversation with Mark Terman. Here, here are my historical markers. Uh, in 975 BC or thereabouts, um, a division took place. And one country, one kingdom, became two. That was the division of Israel and Judah. Fast forward to 1953. And uh, one country that constituted the entirety of the Korean Peninsula was divided into two. We now know those as North and South Korea. Um, more recently, 2011, uh, in 2011, the countries that we now know as North and South Sudan were one country. Um, we might read uh, that researchers are talking about a 35-mile-long crack in the desert in Ethiopia, um, and that one day that will divide what is currently a continent. But there are divisions among us here in the United States of America as well, and the cracks are beginning to show. Where would you put the dividing line if you were going to divide up America into parts and pieces? That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love 
So every day at denisonforum.org, you can read the Daily article. And a couple of days ago, in the Daily article, there was a conversation about cities and communities in the United States and the subject of secession. And because Mark uh, Terman, our guest, uh, lives in Texas, <clears throat> he's a good person to talk with about the, uh, the, the possibility of seceding from the union. Um, and I make light of it, uh, but these are actually serious conversations happening in communities across the country. Yeah, they are. And, and um, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, as a Texan, uh, Texas is the only state within the United States that was actually a country before it became a state. And uh, so you can imagine how some of the thoughts in my part of the world run in this direction uh, because of the size of Texas uh, and the size of the Texas economy. Some people think that we're the most obvious part uh, of the nation that could succeed and be successful on our own. Uh, many, many people don't think that that's the case, and there's a lot of problems with it as well. But it is certainly something that runs in the conversation uh, around here at times, and it's and it's been here in different ways, comes at waves when people are frustrated and, and disillusioned, as we've seen over the last couple of decades. Um, I, I don't think it's wise. I think it's much more uh, ad- advantageous to all of us to pursue unity and to pursue uh, a cooperation with each other. The United States, uh, all, all of the 50 states and territories have their uniquenesses, and we found over more than two centuries that we do better together than we do alone. Yeah. Um, I think that there are, uh, you know, obviously lessons that we could look to, um, in the Bible. We can look at Israel and Judah. We can certainly look in more recent history at, um, what is now the nation of, of Germany, but at the, you know, experiment of East and West Germany. Um, and we can, we can look at North and South Korea, like there are opportunities for us to see what it looks like when people are actually divided. Um, I think, Mark, that when we have these conversations in local communities, we're we're trying to address um, uh, a, a deeply felt um, dissociation from the larger body, like somehow we feel like they left us. And so we're leaving them because they already left us. And it happens on the right and it happens on the left. Oh, absolutely. And I think behind that, Carmen, is what the devil is is proliferating within our midst is this idea that other people are of lesser value than than we are or the our people, however you want to define the term our people. And that they are to be viewed with suspicion. They are to be viewed as a threat rather than to be viewed as uh, fellow members of the creation of God, that we are all made in his image regardless of who we are, where we come from, what our skin color is, what our gender is, that we are all valuable. And instead of seeing each other that way, we're seeing each other uh, as a threat and we view each other with suspicion. We, we don't have an abundance mentality. I think you and I have talked about that before in previous conversations. We have a scarcity mentality that we have to uh, try to get all that we can and can all we get and, and sit on the can and protect it from others. And, and instead of being curious and realizing what the Bible says when it says that, that the gospel and that the kingdom of God is open and available to everyone, that Christ brings down the walls of separation, whatever those walls look like, 
Instead, we're buying into the devil's lie that we should be fearful when the Bible says just the opposite. Yeah, there are uh, folks texting in on this, appreciating this conversation. I think that, you know, we're ultimately, as Christians, having a conversation about the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We know what division in the body uh, looks like and feels like. We also know the strange unity that we have with believers around the world, even though there are um, uh, geopolitical divisions, there is a unity of spirit and bond of peace that we enjoy with our brothers and sisters in Christ because we are citizens of another kingdom um, and, and a home for which we all long. Um, talk with us really quickly, um, if you could. Well, you don't even have to be quick about it. <clears throat> All right. So there's another um, daily article. And in this one, there's a conversation about AI, artificial intelligence, and whether or not AI could actually decide at some point that we humans are a threat. Yeah, it's interesting to hear Bill Gates say that AI is going to be as significant as the microprocessor, uh, the personal computer, the Internet social media, uh, and the iPhone. I, I just, when I hear that, I'm equally excited and disturbed that there's more rapid, wide-scale technology change coming. And lots of, being, lots of things are being written about AI these days and uh, about where we're going and how it's going to affect virtually every aspect of our society. And a lot of questions, as there always needs to be around technology, that there are moral, spiritual questions that need to be asked about, okay, just because we have discovered we can do something, does that mean that we should do something in this area? And I think those are the real questions that uh, are in front of us relative to AI and how it might be used. And we all we are already seeing, we've seen on a number of occasions, how we get to the place of advancing technology without having asked the appropriate and significant questions of what is the moral foundation and ramification. I heard a social commentator say, you know, we basically have given up our moral rail, and now all we have is the legal rail to live by or the legal boundary to live by. And that produces all kinds of chaos and all kinds of difficulty. Uh, right, Fundamentally with all of us, right, is what happens when you have capacity but you haven't taken the time to develop the character, the moral character that will frame and guide that capacity. And that applies to technology. It applies in multiple areas of our life. Character is what must be leading, and we are more interested in capacity, and that needs to flip around. And that's something that Christians need to contend for. I mean, I think that, you know, part of this conversation is the, the balance between convenience um, and the positive uh, things that innovation brings us and the threats that we sometimes anticipate, sometimes we see, but many times we don't um, in terms of embracing new technology because we're frankly more interested in the convenience that it provides um, than we are in guarding against uh, the the challenges that it brings. Absolutely, because we we are uh, we are by nature always looking for a shorter path, and um, that sometimes is a good thing, but often is driven by our brokenness, by our fallenness, and we we have to realize that 
every new piece of technology, every new thing that we can invent has ramifications that we don't yet understand. We're seeing this on a massive scale relative to social media and uh, the younger generation. They especially, but all of us, but they especially are in an experiment relative to technology and social interaction that we've never seen before, and we don't know what the long-term impacts are. We're seeing some really bad and disturbing signs relative to uh, depression, anxiety, um, suicide. Uh, many of those are correlated and, and, and connected in some way to the way that we're relating to each other in social media. That's just one indication of how new technology needs to be uh, needs to be pursued very, very thoughtfully and with a moral framework. Otherwise, we don't know what kinds of, of damage we may be doing to people. Hmm. That's so good. Mark, as always, thank you so much for joining us. That's Mark Terman. You can find him and what we talked about today at denisonforum.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. I will trust One year ago today, it was one year ago today that um, Chris Manson and his friends loaded up the first donated U.S. ambulance onto a 747-800 aircraft headed to Europe. That um, that ambulance has since been joined by 27 others and one fire engine. They're about to send 10 more. That uh, that flight goes out um, uh, before the end of the month, so in the next couple of days, and five more in April slated to uh, head head there as well. Um, so I just want to you know celebrate the good things that God is doing in and through His people. Um, be mindful that there is an opportunity before you today to advance the kingdom of God in the generation in which we live. I'm going to turn the show over uh, now to Paul Perot so I can get to a speaking engagement at the Christian Leadership Alliance event in Chicago. Um, but thank you so much for this time together. Stay tuned because there is another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.